Welcome to another episode of the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast, where we talk about all things related to athletic performance, rehabilitation, and wellness. My name is Michael Falk, and I'm hosting today's episode, and I'm joined by Dr. Brett Furstel of Kinetic Sports Medicine and Performance, and he and I start talking today about some new research coming out around quad tendon grafts in ACL rehab. It's a relatively new graft type, and it is something that in our area we've started seeing an increased number of really in the last... Uh, one to two years. Prior to that, we really weren't seeing many of these graphs done. We'd, we'd known they'd been done around the country, but no one in the Milwaukee area was doing that many of them. And we started to see them much more frequently. So, so now we're getting some longer term uh, research that's been out about it that gives some really good insights into some differences in the rehab process, the outcomes, the timeframes, and why this graph might be a good option for you. So uh, this is really for people that are rehabbing athletes that have ACL injuries, uh, for athletes and families that are either going through the ACL rehab process or unfortunately just tore their ACL and are trying to make a graft selection choice. This would be a great resource. So um, if that's not you, but you know someone that would benefit from listening to this, it's about 30 minutes. We'd really appreciate you passing it on to them and trying to share this information to help as many people as we can. So I uh, hope you guys enjoy. What's going on, everyone? Michael Falk with Connect Kinetic Sports Medicine and Performance. I am joined today by Dr. Brett Furstel, one of our lead physical therapists and the PT that has really helped take our ACL rehab to the next level at Kinetic. And Brett reads a ton of ACL research, does a ton of continuing education with ACLs. Um, honestly, in my opinion, is is probably one of one of the premier um, ACL physical therapists um, in for sure our region, if not the the whole country. And Brett led an in service for our staff a couple of weeks ago now, um, going through some new research on a new graph that we're seeing more and more commonly, the quad tendon graph. Um, so it's a graph from a different, slightly different location, um, really. I mean, as of three to five years ago, I'm sure it was being done somewhere, but we'd never seen one. And I believe now we have somewhere in the four to six of the ACLs that we're managing right now have this graph. So definitely becoming much more common. And there's some really uh, interesting new research that just came out, I believe, in the last couple of months that Brett presented. And we thought it'd be a great podcast to record to share some of the information with with all of you on what we're learning about this new graph now that's being done more and more common. So, Brett, thanks for taking the time to come on and and uh, share some information with us today. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. The more people learn about it and know, the better decisions they can make and hopefully the better outcomes they get. So just in case people haven't listened to some of our past podcasts or um, looked at our website that has some blogs on, on ACL-related topics, just let's look at the overview of what are the current available graft options for patients. It's something that everyone's worried about. Um, before we came on, you and I were just talking about a phone call I had last week with a family that's, everyone stresses about like, which graft should I choose? So what are the choices right now? Yeah. So the most common ones are the patellar tendon, which is taken right below the kneecap, the hamstring tendon, which is one of the hamstrings typically taken on the inside of the back of the knee. Um, and cadavers are out there too, which used to be a bit more common for generally good reason or less common now, but it is still an option. And then the quad tendon too, which we're going to more so discuss today. So they've all been available for a while. The quad tendon seems a bit newer and I think for good reason for the most part. Um, so it's going to be exciting to talk about. Yeah. So 
we're looking at it, I mean, I think maybe the public perception of ACL rehab, if you watch, you know, professional sports is that like, oh, someone has an ACL tear that sucks, um, but they'll be back next season. Um, and when we look at the literature, that's maybe not true, but can you, can you give some background? Like why are physicians still looking for new graphs? Like why aren't they just continuing to do the same old thing that they've always done um, with, let's say largely the hamstring and patellar tendon graphs? Like what's the, is there something, is there a problem with those or what's the like driving force behind looking for a new, better option? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think there's a few potential reasons. One is the outcomes with ACL surgeries and rehabs aren't perfect. Um, depending on where you look, it could be a quarter up to a third will tend to either re-tear the same side or the opposite side. So there's an area we can definitely improve upon there. And graph selection may be one of those variables that can raise the outcome. The other reason is there's pros and cons to each and every graft type, and it might be a better fit for one person, but it might not be for another. So taking into each individual's presentation, their goals, the sport they play, that will influence what graft type maybe can be used in the first place or what might be a best fit for them. So there's a few reasons behind it, and I think those are probably the most likely. Yeah, no, I think that's uh, I think that's a perfect way of saying it, and, and that's kind of what we tell everyone is is exactly what you said that there's no perfect graft option there's pros and cons the hamstrings might tend to get a little bit loose as a graft but it's easier to recover your quad strength but then you're losing a key stabilizing muscle um but then if you do the patellar tendon graft you have an increased chance of getting patellar tendonitis and dealing with more anterior knee pain but maybe you have a um, more stable or or less lax uh, ACL graph. So it's like all these pros and cons and there just isn't a perfect option yet. And that's why I think scientists are still just looking for, for potential areas to improve. So um, really the graph that this is probably most similar to is the, the patellar tendon graph. So this new quad tendon graph comes out from like right above the, the uh, clients or the athlete's knee, whereas the patellar tendon graft comes out from right below the patella, the patella, so a little bit lower. Um, outside of just the location, what are some of the key differences that you're starting to see or um, for, from a patient's perspective, like big picture, what are the differences in why might you want to do the quad tendon graft versus the patellar tendon graft? Yeah. Um, one is a little bit less broad, more specific, but one benefit of the patellar tendon graft is it takes a bone on either side of the tendon. So it tends to just get reinforced and heal faster, uh, but it's still long. Like mind you, typical research that I've seen is like six to 12 months before the new graft is fully solidified versus the quad tendon. They can take either completely tendon with no bone at all. So it's all soft tissue, or they can take one side that has a bone. And so that will heal slightly slower than having a bone on both sides. So that's one thing to take into consideration is the length of full healing and remodeling. Um, the other thing is going to be a positive and that there tends to be less anterior knee pain or front side knee pain with things like kneeling down because you don't kneel on where that quad tendon graft was taken from is that tends to be better. The caveat that I tend to see, however, is that it's just a different pain with different activities. And that being said is those are going to kind of go into some of the pros and cons between the patellar tendon and the quad tendon is just specific to certain tasks, which from a rehab perspective, that's something that we as PTs really need to know. So we know how can we 
that sometimes work around it to make sure we don't overuse it and overload it. But then more specifically too, we need to make sure that we eventually do get those positions to be really strong so that this graft and the donor site of where you take it from can adapt to the stresses implied so that you can hopefully have your best chance of being really strong and robust and not deal with excessive amounts of that discomfort. Yeah, no, I think that's uh, that's good advice and, and good thoughts there. So specifically with this paper, um, what were some of the key takeaways that you had and kind of break it down into different sections, but some, what are some of the early differences like right in that uh, kind of immediate post-op phase, if you will, uh, between the patellar tendon graft and the quad tendon graft of what might be different from one ACL rehab to the other based on graft type? Yeah. So if anyone has had already an ACL surgery, you're probably used to hearing and experiencing after surgery, it's challenging to get the quad muscle to fire, to work. So when you're doing things of just getting your quad to squeeze and contract or lifting your leg, so on and so forth, that's a challenge for a lot of reasons. And it seems like having a quad tendon graft tends to be around the same difficulty, sometimes harder, sometimes easier, but it's still nonetheless a challenge. So just getting it to work is definitely hard. Um, the other thing that tends to happen is right where that quad tendon lies. If you do too much too soon, you can definitely develop quite a lot of swelling and potential scar tissue that's not helpful. Um, so we want to just really, really consider it to how much, when, which really is no different than the patellar tendon either, but it's just something that the authors of this paper specifically brought up of some consideration that us PTs we need to educate our patients on and we need to be aware of to make sure that we're not doing too much. Um, other than that, in the early stages, it's pretty typical compared to the patellar tendon. We want to get pain and swelling down. We want to get our quad strength in that activation as good as it can, as early as it can, and then incrementally load it appropriately so we can get back to our early level things like walking, doing on stairs, and your daily life stuff as soon and as safely as possible. Okay. So yeah, overall, it sounds like probably pretty similar in the early stages between those those two. Um, you know, there'd be more differences between those two and and like someone that have a hamstring um, tendon yep. graft overall. So then if it's relatively similar in the early stages, what does the paper show kind of longer term outcomes and uh, recovering strength and those types of things? Yeah. So I'll kind of consider this when someone's in like their maybe middle stage of rehab, you know, they're getting back into their strength um, work. They're maybe starting some running, but they're not back to sport yet, but they're still working really hard is it seems like quad strength regaining tends to be a bit slower in general. Like when you look at a three month out six month and even nine months, we'll see that it's maybe five to 10% lower on average than the patellar tendon. And that if you compare to the hamstring is even more different. So 10 to 20% down probably. So knowing something like this, that it's harder to regain top level quad strength, it's something that needs to be prioritized early and paid attention to how we're doing it too. And that's the other kind of specific from the PT standpoint is how we're loading someone does make a difference depending on this graft. For example, there's a big difference between me doing a quarter squat versus a full squat and what demands go through that quad tendon or the patellar tendon. And it seems like the quad tendon tends to be used a lot more when we are loaded deeper. So like in that deep squat position. 
which for example, in early stages might be something we want to stay away from to make sure we don't do too much too soon. But over time, we need to know that those are a difficult area and something we need to load because why? Why does that matter in the first place? Well, if you are weak in those areas or have quite significant pain, now when you do things like landing from a high jump that you're going to land low, decelerating and cutting and you're getting in low positions, if you haven't exposed yourself to get used to those demands, you're probably not going to have great success or it may be a bit painful. So with these quad tendon graphs, we really need to be specific to those positions and figuring out exercises to progress um, appropriately. Yeah, no, I think that makes sense. So um, overall did, and I can't remember exactly what you shared from the, uh, from the paper, but did the paper give sort of expected timeframes for the quad recovery with the uh, quad tendon graph versus the patellar tendon graph? Yeah. Um, there's a different paper I looked at cause I don't think the specific one gave actual numbers on average recoveries from a recovery like time or when they're at air quote, hundred percent strength. Um, so this one other one did look at it and it tends to take with patellar tendons, for example, if we're mostly comparing those together, roughly nine to 12 months to fully recover, usually airing closer to the nine month mark tends to be more common. And the quad ones tends to be around a year, maybe a little bit longer than that too. And that's regaining full quad strength, which again, I'm going to bring a, a practical aspect that we've experienced in our clinic. It matters how you test someone too. Because most places, if you go somewhere and do get tested, they might use what's called like a biodex, where you'll sit on a machine and you'll kick against it and it moves throughout a range of motion. Typically, what we'll find with that anecdotally is they tend to be weaker when it's loaded in a deeper level of bending versus straighter. But the way that we test is isometrically, so they kick against an object that doesn't move. They tend to be quite strong earlier than that time with little levels of their knee bending. But when we put them at like 90 degrees or even more, those deficits tend to be quite heightened and there's often a bit of discomfort with it too. So how you test does matter, but in general, the short answer to, to your question is probably around a year. It seems on average that people will fully regain that quad strength. Okay. Yeah. So we're just talking about if you elect to go with a quad tendon graft, you're probably maybe just looking at um, you know, an extra month or two to recover that and everyone's going to be different. And again, that's why we always give people the full range of potential outcomes, um, because no matter what graph you choose, you still have to really address your quad strength and, and, uh, make sure you restore all that. And it does take time and there's no magic bullet to get it done. It just takes hard work, good programming and consistency in your routine overall to, to get that back. But going into it, just not being disappointed if you, and not feeling like maybe you're falling behind, because I think that's something that can happen is teammates will compare their recovery to um, their teammates recovery and be like, oh, they're doing so much better than me at the six month mark or eight month mark or at whatever point in your rehab you want to compare. And it's like, well, just because you both had ACL surgery doesn't mean you had the same surgery if you had different graphs and there's unique challenges for each, each one. I think it's good to know that going in. Um, I'll include a link in the show notes. If you don't understand or uh, don't think that quad strength and ACL rehab is important, it is, um, in our opinion, I hate saying any one thing is the most important because it, it all matters, but the saying that we 
all use here and that we've stolen from PT that we've done a lot of Con Ed through, Eric Mira, is it's not only the quad, but it's at least the quad. And if you haven't restored your quad strength, you really have no business going back onto a competitive field and you're just setting yourself up for a risk of re-injury. So um, there's many more factors than just that, but that's the the most important underlying factor that affects everything else. So that's why we we harp on it and I'll include some links in the show notes if you're unfamiliar with that concept and want to listen to some other podcasts or read a blog about why why that's so important. So um, kind of back to a little bit more practical here. So it sounds like some similar potential drawbacks um, to the patellar tendon, um, potential, you know, less pain, uh, maybe a little benefit over the hamstring graft by having at least one bony plug, but then, you know, potentially a disadvantage the hamstring graft with taking longer to recover the quad strength. So we keep going on and on about there's still no right answer. So um, when we see an athlete that's coming in, hasn't had surgery yet, looking for doctors, trying to make this decision, what are some questions that we suggest that you suggest they ask the doctor about that graft selection process? Um, yeah, great question. I think the first one is going to be if they recommend a specific graft asking why they should usually be able to back up why they think that specific graft would be a good option for you. Um, but I think the other thing that tends to be really helpful is take, having that surgeon just kind of discuss all of these pros and cons and then figuring out, you know, what does that mean to you? What does your history look like? What does your sport demand look like? And let's try to figure out you know, if you went with a patellar tendon graft, what are the pros and cons with that for you? If you're going to choose a quad tendon, what are those pros and cons? And essentially, it's you really writing out a pros and cons list between all of them and figuring out which one is probably your biggest bang for your buck. One example I will give is going to be, you know, if you're kind of between patellar tendon graft and a quad tendon graft, you're not really sure which one. They seem like they're both really good. There's both like kind of the similar pros and cons, but you have a longstanding history of patellar tendonitis that's really set you back in the past. You're probably going to want to elect to do maybe more of the quad tendon graft because essentially if you have a history of a patellar tendonitis and there's past pain in there, there's potential like pathology with the tendon still, we take a chunk of that out you can still 100% recover from it, but you just have a little bit more of a chance of having some of that pain come back. If you take a quad tendon graft, you're no longer gonna disrupt and take a good chunk of that patellar tendon. Now maybe that quad tendon seems like a better option for you because your chances of having pain are probably gonna be a bit less than they otherwise would be. But I think the first question is just figuring out, you know, what options does that surgeon offer? Why are they recommending it in the first place? And then being able to troubleshoot specifically for you, what makes sense? Yeah, awesome. It's, um, I think, really good advice. And yeah, we just always encourage people to ask ask questions. It's uh, make sure you find a surgeon that you're comfortable with, that you don't get, you know, quote unquote, like white coat syndrome around, that you're afraid to ask questions and you just do, you just go along, along with the plan without making sure you're comfortable. So um, no medical provider should ever um, have an issue with you asking questions and really making sure that you're making an informed decision so that you're comfortable with the outcome. Then that way you go, you go into it knowing, hey, this is what I'm doing. This is why there's these pros and cons. Now when you elect to do the patellar tendon and you have some anterior knee pain, you're not disappointed about it. You're expecting it. Or you elect to do the quad tendon, you go into it knowing, hey, 
it might take me an extra month or two, but that's going to be worth it for these other reasons. Now, when you feel like you're quote unquote falling behind, you're not disappointed because it was expected. So just making sure you go into it, eyes wide open, um, hoping for the best, but being aware of what are some of the downsides, um, then you're going to be really comfortable and, and happy with the outcome and you just get to work on it um, and and get after your rehab. So, mm-hmm. okay, let's dive into some specific exercises and just rehab considerations. So whether you're a provider that works with these uh, graphs or you're an athlete that's maybe going through this ACL rehab right now and just had a quad tendon graft, um, what in the early phases, I know we said we got to control motion or control swelling, decrease pain, um, get the quad active, but let's say we've kind of got that quad active, but we're still pretty early on. What exercises should they be incorporating if they had a quad tendon graft? And what should they really be staying away from based on the fact that they had this quad tendon graft? Great question. And I think a lot of it comes down to symptoms in either case. Like you still want to be able to work up to doing something and eventually progressing. Um, But if it's really painful and symptomatic, that's not something we're going to push through, especially in these early stages. Because one, it may just lead to poor healing from the the graft donor site as a whole. And two, it's probably going to make you not want to do those, not enjoy the rehab and potentially have a bad overall effect. So symptoms really do guide a lot of what we do in terms of what specific exercises do we choose? What load do we have someone do it in? What range of motion do we have them do it in? With our eventual goal of being almost identical with all of them, but from a typical basis is with these, um, quad tendons, if we're doing a step up, for example, which we really want to get working on doing your stairs and doing your stairs well, we're going to start like we typically would with anything else is a nice small box because one, it's going to be a bit easier versus a tall box. Two, it's not going to put you in as much range of motion, which may be a bit weaker or more painful. And we're going to spend time there slowly progressing the height the number of reps, the weight we use, but letting symptoms be our guide and how we do so. Yeah, no, I think that's that's good advice. So um, once we kind of get past that and into the middle phase, I feel like this is kind of from your presentation from this new research article, maybe where some of the, you're going to be doing similar exercises, but maybe in slightly different ways, focusing on different things. So what what might change in this middle phase from someone that had a patellar tendon graft to someone that had a quad tendon graft um, from an exercise standpoint? Yeah, I, th- I think from an exercise selection standpoint, they tend to be similar, but it's how those are progressed and emphasized that can be different. And again, I'm just going to use another example being a wall sit is I've worked with a lot of people um, that had come in, you know, say six months out, they had their quad tendon graft, we test their strength, they look overall good in these short positions, doing something like a short wall sit is really no problem. But the second we get them to start going a bit lower, think around 90 degrees where your legs are parallel in that wall sit, they might be pretty uncomfortable, they might feel really, really weak, or they can't simply do it either. And so those are the things we tend to emphasize more with these quad tendon graphs is spending more time in these lower positions. And I'm a big fan of clearly just spending time in the position. So doing an isometric hold like a wall set where you don't move. Or another one that I've tended to really love are like a split squat hold where you just hold for time. 
Couple reasons I tend to like these is one, they are often better tolerated from a, a pain and symptom standpoint than doing reps of a particular exercise. Two, we get to work on what I'll call positional strength and forcing them in the positions that their body tends to fight out of. So we really are able to make sure that they're not compensating out of it and we're getting the adaptations that we do want. And then eventually the goal is that we use these as a foundational exercise to get tolerance and comfort and strength in these positions and then apply it to certain sport specific drills that will use those positions. Because if we don't and we just focus on those low level loading things and then we ask them to perform a cut, decelerate are the common things that I see people really struggle with, they won't do it well. And one, it may put them at a risk of an injury on the same side or the other. Two, they won't perform at the level that they want to. They'll feel clumsy, but we really need to figure out why is that the case? And it is often an underloading or malloading of those specific positions and ranges of motion. Yeah, I think that's um, really good advice. And so it's, um, I mean, overall, it's just kind of back to what we were saying earlier where these people have they might have good quad strength with a relatively straight knee, but then they really struggle when their knee's bent. And so um, depending on each you know, unique person, you might want to emphasize or need to emphasize weak areas. And so with these long holes that Brett's talking about, you get a, you get a strength carryover around like 10 to 15 degrees on either side. So if, let's say you hold your knee at 90 degrees of bending, you know, you'd get stronger from like 105 to 75 give or take degrees but if all you did was work at 30 degrees um, you wouldn't see that strength increase all the way down to that 90 degree level i think something that um that we've been playing around with a little bit too with some of these cases has been like taking advantage of okay this person's really weak in these deep knee bending positions but like really strong in these shallow knee bending positions so almost like pairing those up together like let's Let's try to accentuate what they're really good at, um, you know, do some things in some shallow knee positions that they're really pain-free, like able to maximally activate all of that quad muscle, try to get that to kind of overflow and then go into this position that they really struggle with. And it's going to be a lighter weight. They're not going to be able to do as much resistance. Maybe they aren't even able to move through a range of motion, but like pairing those two things up to try to kind of play with accentuating what they're good at while working on their deficit um, to keep making progress has been something that seems like has been going well in certain cases um, as like a little little tip or a trick there too. Yeah. The other thing that I'm going to bring up that if you are in the middle of rehab and you had a quad tendon and you're listening, you may well relate to is the positions that also tend to be really hard is a stretch when you're maybe on your stomach and you're trying to pull your heel to your butt that will really be challenging with a quad tendon graft. And then even more so from like a loading standpoint, if you're doing that same split squat, but your involved side is the leg behind you, which that is going to place a big stretch on that quad muscle and that quad tendon. And it's under your body weight. That tends to be really, really hard, both from a pain standpoint and a weakness standpoint. So if you feel that way, know that that is normal for these cases, but they are again, things that we really want to work through and need to work through and around to make sure that you're capable of doing so and then don't feel off. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a really good point too that the people don't ever think about when you're doing split squats or those things is 
I mean, yes, we're focusing on the front leg most of the time, but that back leg is often, especially if you've gone through ACL rehab, like much more painful um, when that leg is back. So um, just keeping that in mind is really good. Mm -hmm. Okay, so once we're at that late stage, I mean, is there really any real difference between these two graphs or is it just by that point, all you're doing is targeting the patient's deficit. So at that point, it's less graph specific and more patient specific where those deficits are and what you're doing. I think pretty much exactly that. But commonly, it's kind of like what we mentioned before, is both of these graphs, patellar tendon and quad, decelerating tends to be really hard because it takes a lot of quad strength. There's a lot of pounding on those tendons and the quad as a whole. But patellar tendon graphs tend to have pretty good success with lower levels of bending versus the quad tendon, it tends to be a lot harder. So you can envision if you're sprinting, that might be no problem with your quad tendon graft. But the second you need to come to a hard stop and are making these big pounding steps and land in just a dead stop position, those tend to be really, really hard uh, because you are loading and with the more level of knee bending. So when we are working on deceleration type drills, they are generally a big emphasis with either case. Uh, but again, we might just pay attention to how does that each individual struggle and how can we give them drills or build their strength or whatever it needs to be so that they can have the best success at that particular drill. Yeah. Awesome. Any other last thoughts on ACL rehab or graph selection or anything like that? I think my biggest thing is ask questions and make sure that you know why you're choosing what you're doing and that you feel confident in it and that the people that you are choosing to help you along the way, so your surgeon, your PT, your strength coach, your athletic trainer, whoever it is, they understand the differences between these graphs and know how to treat you and know the understanding that these are different. There's pros and cons to all of them because in general, rehab and I'm going to speak on the rehab front because that's my area of specialty, it is and should be different. If you were to walk into a clinic and see three different people with three different graphs doing their rehab, you might think it's the same thing, but there are small different emphases based on each scenario that does make a difference when it compounds over time. So make sure the team around you understands what you are going through and can help you in that specific way. Yeah, I think that's uh, really good advice. So I think we uh, we nailed the the patellar tendon graft uh, uh, research here. So, just to kind of wrap it up, overall, there's kind of three main graft types: patellar tendon, quad tendon, now, and the hamstring graft. Um, there is still, unfortunately, no perfect graft option, um, but this is a new option that is a good graft for a lot of people based on some of the factors that Brett talked about, um, especially if you've. You want something from the front side of your knee. You don't want to take one of your hamstring muscles away, um, but you maybe don't want to deal with some of the patellar tendon issues because you have a history of that. Could be a really good graft option for you. Um, just understand going into it that uh, recovering your quad strength might take quite a bit longer, um, and you might end up with a little bit of a slower process than some of your teammates, which is not bad. I know that sounds like, why would you ever want that, but um, don't think about the differences at nine months. Think about the differences at two years, right? And and at that point, this is a looking like it's a really good graft option for you. Um, but you just need to know what you're doing and you need to, as Brett said, make sure your rehab team knows what it's doing so that you're targeting these deficits as early as possible to try to recover as much as you can, as fast as you can, so you can get back 
onto the field safely. So um, we see a lot of ACL rehab. We talk to, at this point, it feels like a few ACL clients, new ACL clients almost every week and manage a lot of these rehabs across everything from seventh, eighth graders all the way up through college professional athletes. And we have seen all of these graph types. So uh, we have a free consult at our clinic um, if you're local. Otherwise, we're also happy to do something online or over the phone. You just want to chat with one of our staff, um, Brett or myself, typically on, hey, what's going on with my ACL rehab? Either I'm in the middle of it and I'm struggling or am I doing the right stuff? Or I just tore my ACL, I'm about to make a graph selection type and you want a little bit more specific guidance and, and advice from us, uh, definitely feel free to reach out. There'll be a link in the show notes. And uh, we love talking to people. It's something that we're really passionate about trying to get everyone pointed in the right direction. So hopefully you guys found this helpful. Brett, thank you very much for your time. And we'll see you guys on the next episode. Hey, wait a second. Do you have a teammate or friend that's going through ACL rehab right now? We would love to help them. Quite frankly, the state of ACL rehab in this country is not great right now, with many athletes never returning fully to play at a high level and undergoing a second ACL injury quite commonly. We have a free online ACL masterclass that tells athletes and families everything that they need to know step-by-step from the time of surgery until their return to the field to help them get back, perform at a high level with a reduced risk of injury. This online class is totally free and you can sign up for it at the link in our bio at kinetic underscore SMP or at the link in the show notes of this podcast. We would really appreciate it if you would share this with anyone that we could help recover from this injury. 